0: Go ahead and get started this evening. Everybody's uh, pretty much filed in, I think. If you go ahead and uh, turn to 1 Samuel as we get ready to open up, that's where we're going to be tonight. We are going to do a decent amount of flipping back and forth, but 1 Samuel 11 is where we're going to get started and move progressively from there. All right, before we go any further at all, let's just go ahead and and stop and uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your book, to open up your word, and to hear what you have to say. Father, you've encapsulated some amazing things in your word, and we get the chance to look into some of them this evening. God, I pray that as we come before you, that, that as we uh, seek to dive deeper into your word and have a greater understanding of you and how you operate, uh, God, that you would just remove all distraction. I pray, Father, that you would get me out of the way, that you would get uh, clear our minds of any thoughts of, from the day or from the week, and just help us to focus on what you have to say. And uh, Father, I pray ultimately that you would be glorified. God, that's what we want to do with our lives, and that's why we're here ultimately, to bring you glory, and I pray that would happen tonight. And I pray, Father, the things that we would do or uh, read uh, from your word, God, are, are things that we could take and, and obey and, and, and do, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves, Father, thinking we're something that we're not. I just pray, God, that we would be faithful to you in all things. I love you, Lord. I thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace, and I ask all of this humbly in Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, welcome. I don't even know what week of, of Q&A this is, but welcome. Welcome. Um, <clears throat> just covering for Pastor Stephen tonight. And as I was going through the the pretty long list of questions, uh, this one just kept jumping out at me uh, several times. And we'll go ahead and look at the first question here on the slide set. <clears throat> what was the evil spirit from the Lord that troubled Saul in, six, in, in 1 Samuel 16? And there, there was a lot more to this question, and I couldn't fit it all onto one slide. But basically, the question started as, in First in Samuel 11, uh, chapter or First Samuel chapter 11, we see the Spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And how does that differ from this evil spirit that troubled Saul a couple chapters later? What's the difference between the capital S and the lowercase s? How is there an evil spirit coming from the Lord? What does that mean? How do we unpack this? What do we do with it? And so, while we're in First Samuel 11, I guess the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to take about 30 seconds. And show you the distinction, or, or see how God shows the distinction, rather, between what He says with the spirit of God that came upon Saul versus this evil spirit from the Lord. And so in, in First or in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we have Saul as the king of Israel, and at this point, he sees that there are, are, are enemies that are coming against the nation of Israel, and uh, they're conspiring to destroy his people. And when Saul finds out about this, these messengers in verse 4 come to Saul and they tell him the tidings of the people in the ears of the people. And, and he, he lifts up his ears and he hears their cries and their voices and he's moved with this. And in verse 6, we see that the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these tidings and his anger was kindled greatly. And so, your first point on this is Saul's righteous anger. And a godly leader who submitted to God, who hears uh, is hearing from the Lord, whose heart is right towards the Lord. When, when God's people are in distress and the people that are under a godly leader's charge are in distress, he's moved to do something about it. And he's going to do something about it. A godly leader will take action. And he did so uh, under the Spirit of the Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. And we see that with um, if you go to the book of Judges and you can read about Samson, he was, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and that was where he derived his strength. And we see Paul doing the same thing. So as he's leading with a right-heart attitude uh, in a proper way, and he hears the people that are under his command in distress, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, he's strengthened by the Spirit of the Lord, and he does something about it. And so that's where we see this this capital S, Spirit of God, coming upon Saul, strengthening him. And you see in verse 7, he took a yoke of oxen and he hewed them to pieces and he basically sent it out as a warning. I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to deal with this correctly, and I'm going to deal with this now, with authority, uh, with a right heart attitude from God. So so what happens between that Spirit of God and verse 6 of chapter 11 Flip over to 1 Samuel 15 and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Because something happens in these four chapters that's pretty cataclysmic. And we see Paul, Saul operating under the influence of God's Spirit with a right heart attitude, wanting to set things straight, wanting to deal with things that are wrong, that his people are in distress to an evil spirit coming upon him and troubling him. So, first of all, let's just... Uh, Let's just look in verse one of this chapter. and what we're going to do is we're just going to take our time, the bulk of the time tonight, walking through here and seeing, gaining an understanding of what's happening. So Samuel also said unto Saul, "The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over, over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, now, therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way and he came up from, uh, when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Okay, so number one, what we see here right away is Saul as king over, over the nation of Israel. He's the leader of the people of the nation of Israel over God's people. And this is a huge responsibility to put upon him. And in this role of being the leader, in this role of being king over the nation of Israel and shepherding God's people, he obviously is hearing directly from the Lord and he's got a very clear command. He knows what to do. This is cut and dry. Not only does he have the clear command, God gave him understanding. God didn't just tell him, go wipe these people off the face of the earth. God told him why. That, that these were enemies of the nation. They conspired against God's people from when they were coming out of bondage. They laid in wait. Um, And because of this, the judgment of God is going to fall on these people. And and he's telling Saul, Saul, you are the agent by which that judgment is going to fall. I expect you to obey. Hearken unto the words of the Lord and obey him and lead the people of the nation of Israel in doing this. This is is a, a huge responsibility and it's a high honor and a high calling. So he has a command from the Lord. He has understanding of why that commandment is such. So what does he do with it? What does he do with it? Saul gathered the, In verse 4, "'Saul gathered the people together "'and numbered them in Telaim, "'200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah.'" <clears throat> Excuse me, skip down to verse 7. "'And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah "'until thou comest to Shur "'that it is over against Egypt. "'And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, "'and utter, utterly destroyed all the people "'with the edge of the sword.'" But Saul and the people spared, not, spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed utterly. So number two is we see Paul, Saul's disobedient heart. He was clearly given a command. He was given responsibility. There's a lot that comes with that. There was, there was no confusion about it. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. He even had the understanding of why this command was so clear. But what did he do? Well, he was faced with several decision points. And if we see in, in verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. That's a decision. As a leader, he, he had a decision point. He chose to do this. I keep reading in the same verse, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But in verse 9, But Saul and the people spared, again, another decision point. They spared Agag. Not only that, and the best of the sheep, a decision. And the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and of all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them. Each one of those ands represents a decision point they were faced with. Every single one of those. And what did they do with the decision that they were given? Well, they chose not to hearken unto the voice of the Lord, and they chose to do what they thought was best. So we we see Saul's disobedient heart and it's manifested, number one, in his actions. So Saul was faced with these decision points and he chose consciously and he chose deliberately while holding the full knowledge of God's Word. He knew everything. He knew the what and he knew the why. He decided on the when and the how. And when he was faced with these His actions directly and deliberately went against what he knew to be true from God. He deliberately chose to disobey what he knew from the word of God, which came through Samuel the prophet. Okay, well, let's keep reading and see what happens. Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone out and passed on and gone down to Gilgal, and so verse 13, Samuel said unto Saul, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed thou, Blessed thou be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So his words. Number one, Saul lied. He, he lied to Samuel, and he lied to himself. It was very clear, and there's evidence to the contrary. There's quite clear evidence to the contrary. Well, if you did what the, the Lord commanded, then why am I hearing sheep, and why am I hearing oxen? Okay, well, let's keep reading. So now, he's confronted with the fact that he just, that he just lied. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. What was his response when he was confronted with the evidence of his his actions? Yeah, he blamed his subordinates, he didn't take responsibility. Not only that, he, he went beyond blaming his subordinates and then he made excuses. So uh, they, everybody else, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people, the people, they spared the best of the, of the sheep and the oxen, but they did it to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we utterly destroyed. So, I mean, they did spare them in all truth. I mean, they didn't kill them all, but they did it because they wanted to make a sacrifice. That's why they did it. So you were caught in a lie. You were, you were caught being directly disobedient. You were caught violating the Word of God, going directly against what you had full knowledge of doing, and when you were confronted with the evidence of it, you lie, and then you make excuses. Have you ever served under someone who behaves that way? I have. I'll tell you right now, it is horrible. It is horrendous. It is awful. Pastor Rory told me something a number of years ago that lodged in my mind. I've never forgot it. He said, "You just pay attention to people. Study people. Listen to people. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they act. Watch what they do. Watch how they interact with their spouse. Watch how they interact with children and other people in the church. You'll start to begin to see patterns of behavior, patterns of speech, patterns of thought manifest over time. And when you begin to watch these patterns uh, solidify you'll understand what their character is. Because that's what you're, that's what you're, you're seeing, is their, their character gelled over time. And we can see the character of Saul right here. So we see, number one, that he's got a disobedient heart from his words, number two, from his actions, and number three, from his, the reputation. Well, I'll explain that here in a second. Look with me in verse 16. Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said to him, Say on. So now Samuel is talking to Saul. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, thou wast made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord set thee on a journey, and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief things which, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Again, doubling down. He's even, he's even more entrenched in his own defense. And Samuel has, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great to light in burnt offerings and as sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected, again, a decision point. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and he hath also rejected thee from being king. These are hard words, and it gets even harder. It doesn't stop. This is just the beginning. You're not going to take ownership of your words and of your actions and of your attitude. It will be put upon you. You will own it one way or another. And so Samuel's not holding anything back, and he's, and he's saying, listen, God would much rather you just lovingly obey him and do what he said than you make up excuses and give sacrifices later on. That's not what he wants. He wants. And ultimately, all of this is, is a reflection of where your heart is. Because if, if, if God really had Saul's heart here, Saul would have just obeyed what he knew was right. And he would have led those following him to obey as well. And when he saw, if, really, if this was true, and he saw them disobeying what God had commanded, what would a good leader do? Well, you, you would do what you saw happen in 1 Samuel 11. You would stand upon what is right, upon the Word of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord, and you would set these things right. And you would do it now. And you would, you would operate on the, on the convictions that you have that you are obeying the Word of the Lord. That's what a godly leader does. And he does not make excuses. He does not lie. And he does not obfuscate his responsibility under the people following him. So what happens? He's called out in verse 23. Verse 23. You have a rebellious heart attitude and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and the stubbornness is as as iniquity and idolatry. Even when you are faced with this, you are digging in and you are stubborn and you are not broken, you are not contrite, you are not humble, you are not fit to rule. This day it is taken away from you. So as we continue to go down, now what do we see in verse 24? Verse 24. When Saul, has, when Saul has the the payment, if you will, if he, had, he sees what's, what's due him for his disobedience, now the consequence of his action is made known. What's his response after he knows the consequence? Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn with me again, that I may worship the Lord." Samuel says, No, I I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Verse 29, And also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So we have here in verse 30, and he said, For I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Now this sounds like the right thing. This sounds good. I've sinned. I obeyed the people. Forgive me. Pray with me. Let me worship before God. Again, I'll point out that this came after the fact that his consequences of his actions were made quite known, and he had rejected God three times and lied and doubled down and doubled down again on what he had done. But what does he want? Ultimately, he wants to be honored before the people. In verse 30, Honor yet me now, I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord my God. We're going to come back to this in a a few minutes because there's more to this. There's more evidence to this that gives this an insight and indication of where his heart really is. But his words do not betray him here. He's thinking about how he's going to look in front of the people. And if Samuel would just bless him and restore him before the people, that's got to be worth something, Right? So, he wanted to be honored king before the people more than he wanted to be right with God. I'm going to show you more of that in a second. There, like I said, there's more evidence. We're going to come back to this. So, number three, Saul really got what he wanted. He got the results of his own decisions. He got the results of his own decisions. And once again, in verse 24, like I said like it was after he learned the consequence of his sin then he was sorry. When he saw this was going to cost him a lot, then he wanted to make everything right. He had three opportunities and didn't want to hear anything about it. When it cost him something personally, now I want to do something about this. Okay. <clears throat> we go back and we see that once again, his heart was rebellious towards God. And uh, we see this. Flip back with me to verse to Verse 23. Because this is where we need to really start digging in and looking. And and I promise you we're going to answer this question about this evil spirit from the Lord. But we have to understand this in the context of what's going on. We have to understand what's actually happening in this story. That a man will go from operating under the Spirit of the Lord and four chapters later an evil spirit from the Lord is taking root in his life. What happened? If we don't know what happened in his heart here that God kept for us on these pages, we're, we're not going to know why that changed and it's important it 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 is most certainly important verse 23 is what we really have to zero in on for the for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the lord he hath also rejected thee from being king rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft he's worshiping himself that's the underlying spirit here He's exalting himself while ignoring the knowledge of the Word of God. He's willfully putting his own desires before the desires of God. Having the full knowledge of why God even commanded him to do that in the first place. So, I know what this says. I hear what you're saying. I I have understanding of all of this. I know what my marching orders are. Mm, But this looks good and I want this. I'm going to take this so there's three things that you, you need to understand when it comes to obedience I tell this to my children all the time there's three legs I, I picture obedience as a stool that you would sit on and if you kick any one of these three legs out the stool will fall over it will not stand on two so number one obedience requires completely following out the directive complete to the letter and you can read in Matthew uh, I love the example when uh, when Christ is at the the marriage and it's his first miracle and he's turning the water into wine. He tells him to fill these water pots. How full? Does anybody know how full they filled the water pots? To the brim. brim. All the way to the top. All the way to the top. So when I give my kids a directive, I don't expect you to do 98% of it. That's not completely obeying. I expect you to do 100% of it. Number two, I expect it to be done immediately or when I tell you to have it done. So if I tell you to clean your room or I tell you to put your laundry away or I tell you to empty the dishwasher or I tell you to fill in the blank, I don't mean next Tuesday. I mean, stop what you're doing and do it now and do it completely. I don't mean to put all of your laundry away except for a sweatshirt. I don't mean for you to put all the dishes away except for the silverware. Um, Whatever the case may be, fill in the blank. This is pretty remedial with my kids. You should do all of it and you should do it completely. What's the third leg? Well, you have to do it with a right heart attitude. And that's what I want to see with my children. And as they get bigger and I give them directives and I expect them to do things and I expect them to follow through and I expect them to follow it out to the letter when and how it should be done in a time frame with the right heart attitude, it requires that I give them something as a father. It requires that I give them understanding. The older they get, the more understanding they require. So I had a conversation with my son a couple weeks ago, Um, I don't even remember what we were talking about now, but I worked him all the way through why it needed to be done the way that it needed to be done, and why it needed to be done in the time frame that it did. It took me like twice as long to get it done, because I spent all this time explaining it to him, and uh, I asked him, I was like, so buddy, knowing all of that, does it make it easier for you to accomplish this task? He's like, yeah, it makes it a lot easier, Dad, because now I know why you want it done this way. Go, okay. Well, Proverbs 14 says that knowledge is easy to him that hath understanding. So my job as a father is to impart understanding to my children, and when that's there and their right heart attitude is in place, these things are done correctly. They receive blessing from their father, and this works out well, and everybody's happy. But what happens when that good heart attitude is not in place? And they know what they're supposed to do but they don't do what they know they're supposed to do what do you suppose happens then well they they receive judgment from their father and it will be meted out and they know it because i've trained them to understand that from very early on that when i say something i will follow through on what i say if i don't i'm not a very good father and i know and we're going to talk about this later Our Heavenly Father who authored this book, when He tells us something and we don't do it, well, there's a consequence for that. And when our heart attitude is not there, we're in rebellion against Him. Because even though He explains things and He tells us why and He gives us understanding, He reveals things. God doesn't hide things. He he, he reveals things to the point the last book of the Bible is called Revelation. Revelation. He wants us to know. All through Proverbs, he tells us get knowledge, get understanding, get wisdom. Get these things. They're everywhere. Just go pick them off the tree. Spend time getting them. Ask me for it, and I'll give it to you liberally. I won't hold it back. I promise. So, when we have these things and we're responsible for what we have, and then we choose to disobey, we are in rebellion. We have full knowledge, and we have a decision point, do we not? What do we do with the decision point? And we own it just like Saul. So, we see that he's in rebellion, he's in direct opposition to God. I've I I God, I know what you said, I know why you said it, I know what it's for. I don't care. This is what I want. Trust me just 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 trust me. When I do it my way, you're going to God, you are going to see that my way is going to bless you like you've not expected. Just trust me on this, God. Okay? All right. There's something we need to understand here. You're in Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 15, flip over to verse 16, because now we see this. He's in direct opposition, he is in rebellion, he is against God. The Spirit of God was resting on this man. He's been called out, his heart has been exposed toward the Lord. 16, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. God will give you exactly what you want. He will give you exactly what you want. All you have to do is ask. You don't say it with your words. Maybe you say it with your actions. Maybe you say it with your attitude. We're going to get to that in a minute. He will give you exactly what you want. Matthew twelve thirty tells us... Actually, go ahead and put that on the slide... He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not scattereth abroad. Sin will cause separation every time it is administered. Every time. And Saul's sin, his sinful heart attitude, his rebellion against God revealed his heart for himself. And his rebellion was as the sin of witchcraft. And his stubborn was as iniquity and idolatry. It was self-worship. You're going to worship yourself. So basically what we see here is God saying, listen, Saul, I gave you everything you needed and I gave you the directive and I wanted to bless you. I wanted to bless you. You chose to worship yourself. You chose to worship your desires. You chose to put yourself there. It is is as witchcraft and it's idolatry. If that's what you want, the dark arts, I will give it to you. And from that point on, <clears throat> we see this evil spirit from the Lord coming upon and troubling Saul. Oh, well, that's just weird. That's just weird. Alright, that that's that doesn't even make sense to me. What are you talking about? Alright, we're getting into these the spiritual realm. And if you really want to have your circuits fried, um, invite Pastor Aaron to your house like on a Saturday night or Friday night at like 11, and just be like, hey Pastor Aaron, let's talk about weird, creepy stuff. And... For like four hours. You won't sleep for weeks. You will not sleep for weeks. Um, Because he can talk about this stuff and it freaks me out. We don't talk about this stuff a lot in the Baptist circle, but you need to know that it's there and that it takes place and it's here. When we are rebelling against God, we're revealing that our heart is in opposition to Him. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christ. And we start revealing things that are taking place in the spiritual realm that affect us without us even realizing it. And you can see this start to manifest itself. And so, look at verse 15 of chapter 16. Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. The people around him can see it. Buddy, there is something not right. It's freaking us out. You're being troubled because you disobeyed God and now there's this evil spirit. Alright, you're in First uh, Samuel. Hold your place here because we're going to come back and flip over to to uh, 1 Kings 22. What are you talking about getting what you want in this spiritual realm? <clears throat> like I said, if you want to do a deep dive on this, have Pastor Aaron over. He, oof, he'll fry your circuits on this stuff. God will give you what you want. He's got a pattern of this. He, we'll just look at it. It's better if he tells you with his own words rather than me try to explain it. <clears throat> we have here in 1 Kings... So, because of what Saul did, the nation of Israel was fractured. And it was fractured in 1 Kings chapter 11. And so what we're dealing with here is a divided kingdom in 1 Kings 22. And it's divided in half. It's it's, uh, Judah and the nation of Israel. And there are kings over each of these. And we see in chapter 11 that these two two kingdoms are kind of coming together and conspiring. Because um, we see in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 3, the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. Listen, Syria, we have not had trouble with Syria for three years. but They have something that belongs to us. We should go get it. We, we want to go take it back. And so what he did was he conspired with the king of Judah. Hey, would you come with me? We're going to go wage war on Syria, and we're going to get this back what we want. Now, this king of Israel at the time was King Ahab. Was he a good king or was he a rebellious king? He was a rebellious king. Not a very good character. He's in rebellion against God. He's conspiring with the king of Judah. He wants to wage war on Syria. He's asking if you'll go do this with me. Let's be allies and attack them. And and the king of Judah says, yeah, sure, let's do this. But before we go too far, let's inquire of the prophets of God and see if God will be with us when we do this. And so what was it? 400 prophets. And they all came to him and they're like, yeah, do it. This will be great. And one guy even went so far uh, in verse 11, Zedekiah, the son of Kenaniah, made him horns of iron and said, thus saith the Lord, with these uh, shalt thou push the Syrians until uh, thou hast consumed them. Talk about spare time. He's making horns of iron and then he uses that as a prop to prove to these two kings, you guys invade Syria, it's going to be aces, baby, aces, you got this. <clears throat> and so they keep talking and so the Well, they said, well, isn't there anybody else that we can talk to to confirm this? And it it comes out that that there is one more guy, Micah, um, and I don't like that guy. I hate him because every time he prophesies, he prophesies against me, and I don't like that. I don't like that at all, so I hate that guy. Um, Excuse me. Verse 14, and Micah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, I will speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him and said, Yeah, go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver deliver thee into the, the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Listen, you're not being honest. Would you just tell me the truth? Verse 17, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, they, these have no master. Let him return every man to his house in peace. And verse 18, And the king of Israel said unto, to Jehoshaphat, Did not I tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? I told you he was going to do this. Verse 19, And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. This is Micah talking to these two kings. He so said, You want the truth? I'm going to give you the truth. Here it is. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all, all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? How are you going to do it? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee we can continue to read that whole chapter basically what happens is they decide to go into battle and he gets shot with an arrow and he dies, he bleeds out and dogs drink his blood what did King Ahab want? he wanted to hear that he's an awesome king and you should go do this did he want to hear a commandment from God that he should obey even if it went against his own desires no I don't want to hear that I want to hear what I want to hear tell me what I want to hear this is how amazing God is. God not only gave him what he wanted and told him what he wanted to hear, he told him that's what he was doing. Well, how deep is your rebellion? How high is your tolerance for pain? How much do you worship yourself at your own altar? Yeah, I, I, I've, we got this. We got it. I got it. I will give you a lying spirit. Okay, go. Go do it. I just find it really creepy in verse 22, this lying, actually, verse 21 and 22, that lying spirit. I will persuade him. I will be a lying spirit. That creeps me out. Okay, that's not good enough for you. We got another example. Hold your place there in 1 Samuel still. Turn over to John chapter 10. I'm sorry, not John chapter 10, uh, John 13. You want what you want. I'll give you what you want. You want to be told this? I'll let you have it. You want to worship at your own altar? You want to be rebellious? You want to be as witchcraft? I will give it to you. I will give you exactly what you want. You want dark forces at work in your life? Okay, you can have it. I'll warn you over and over and over and over and over, and I will tell you the truth, and I will not withhold the truth from you. I will reveal it. You will have full knowledge, but I will give you what you want if that's what you really want. Okay, well, that's what you want sure that's what you want okay chapter 13 of john this is at the upper room the last supper we all are familiar with the story verse 21 of chapter 13 when jesus had thus said he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said verily verily i say unto you that one of you shall betray me then the disciples, looking at one another, doubted of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples, whom Jesus loved. And Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask him of, uh, to ask who it should be of whom he spake. Verse 25, And he, lying on Jesus' breast, breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it. And he said, When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Skip down to verse 30. And he, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. He had decision points right there. What did Judas want? He wanted silver. He wanted to betray the Lord. He was the one that was always thinking in terms of finances. What did Jesus give him? He gave him the opportunity to act on what he wanted. It, what did it cost Christ? What did that cost him? What did Jesus have full knowledge of? He knew that within a 24-hour span and a very short amount of time, it would cost him everything. Everything. Physical pain, physical death, embarrassment, uh, torture, shame, separation, ultimately becoming cursed for us, the ultimate sacrifice, separated from God the Father, the pain that it would cause God the Father, in this whole gut-wrenching thing, that the veil may be torn, that you and I could, could come to be followers of Christ and be children of the Son of the Living God, or children of the Living God. that thou doest do quickly. He went out immediately acted upon it. And it was night. And I just, want you to, I just want you to take note of the fact that God puts that in there. When you choose to worship the altar of self, when you choose to invite these evil, wicked spirits into your life, the spirit of rebellion, which is the sin of witchcraft, and God unleashes these things into your life and He gives you what you want, and you act immediately on this, you walk out of the presence of light into the presence of darkness. He was surrounded by it. God gave him exactly what he wanted. He gave Ahab exactly what he wanted, and he gave Saul exactly what he wanted. They all got what they wanted. And here's As a result of all three examples, the, the, these situations, they actually got worse and worse and worse. Did any one of these individuals end up better or, than, than when they started in their course of rebellion? All three of them got worse. We see Saul. If we continue to read on about Saul, uh, because you can go to chapter 18, and you can flip back to 1 Samuel. But if you go to 1 Samuel 18, we won't go there now and, and read, he actually prophesies because of this spirit that troubles him. And then he throws a javelin at David and he tries to kill David. And we see slowly and progressively, he begins to lose his mind. Now, two of the three people that I just listed here Saul, Ahab, and Judas. Two of those guys have something in common, do you know what it is? Two of them committed suicide. When you live in all-out, utter rebellion against God, especially having knowledge of the truth, even a little knowledge of the truth, God will give you what you want. You will be faced with decision points and and you can do what you want with it. And we see every single one of these guys end up worse off than when they started. And it it will end up in pure destruction. Saul, he just spiraled completely out of control. He got so bad that he started here with this evil spirit that was tormenting him, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And he couldn't hear from God anymore, and he began to lose his mind. So eventually he got to the point where he consulted with a witch of Endor, and he called dead spirits back from the grave. And horrific things. He started here with a little bit of rebellion, God, I just want to keep this guy alive. I like him. He tells funny jokes, and we got some good sheep we're going to kill for you later on. Stick around. It'll be fun. I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to obey me. He started here. He got what he wanted, and he ended up way, way, way over there. Way over there. Tormented. Losing his mind, and eventually taking his own life. But he got what he wanted. He got exactly what he wanted. So... This is fun. Number four. What about us? You know, <clears throat> there was a, a poll done years ago, and they, 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 they discovered that, I don't remember what percentage of it was now, of kids that, when they graduated high school, a phenomenal percentage of them that would have been raised in Christian homes going to a, a church, like 80-some percent just walked away from the faith within their first year of college. Just a staggering number. And so they asked these kids, why? Why would you, like, why? What got a hold of you that you walked away from everything you knew and were raised in? And the number one answer they got, the number one answer was, I mean, I know all the stories but the Bibles, just really not relevant to my life. I can tell you all day long about David and Goliath. I can tell you about Noah and the Ark. I can tell you all of these things but what do they have to do with the price of tea in China? Nothing. So, This is a great question. What is this evil spirit? Well, they exist. God will use them. He'll give you what you want. What does that have to do with us? Go back to 1 Samuel 15. You know, we're faced on a regular, consistent basis in this church we hear the Word of God a lot. We hear it on Sunday mornings. We hear it on Wednesday nights. Uh, we hear it uh, at Sunday school on Sunday morning. Um, we drill down really deep on a lot of things, and we're fed extremely well. A highly caloric diet of biblical, biblical feeding here. We have a lot. One-on-one discipleship. You grow in discipleship. You actually take other people through discipleship. We hear God speak a lot through His Word. We hear Him a lot. Okay? Saul heard him clearly, had understanding. Saul heard all these things. You're in in chapter 15. Look with me in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and lowing of the oxen which I hear? Uh, You come on Sunday morning. Yeah, I've... Blessed be Thou in the name of the Lord. I've done the commandment of the Lord. What meaneth thou then this internet browser history? What did, what were you looking at? You were obeying God this week, then why is that on your internet history? What were you looking at? What what, what about this? What about this? What, the, what 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 meaneth this time that you've pilfered from work from your boss? How much time did you steal this week? You've obeyed the Lord. Well, what meaneth this gossiping with others? What, what meaneth this critical attitude and unthankfulness that's alive and well in your home and in your heart and in everywhere in your life that the people around you can even see? Like, wow, that's a really critical person. You just have to, if you're around them, you just know they're going to complain a lot. Just how they are. What meaneth this lack of joy? What, what, what meaneth this attitude towards your spouse? Towards your husband, towards your wife, this attitude towards your children. What meaneth this attitude towards your parents? I'm shocked. We say that we obey God, and we say that yeah, we've heard all of it. We have the understanding. I know what He told us what to do and why to do it. Is there evidence of disobedience in your life, like there was evidence of disobedience in Saul's life? And we're confronted with that evidence how do we respond what are your excuses do we make excuses Wow, I mean everybody looks at that stuff it's just a picture it's just a video it doesn't mean anything she's just a girl Wow I mean it's easy to access it's just yeah well you don't know how they speak to me you don't know what they do to me you don't know what it's like to have to submit to somebody like that well Listen, things are difficult. I know. We live in the real world. There are issues that come up. We live in these bodies, and it's not always easy. Do we have this book, and do we believe it, or don't we? When we're confronted with the issues of sin, that we willingly, fully knowing what God has to say about these things, knowing the understanding, that the things we put into our mind and in our heart and the things that come out of our mouths, we have evidence of what's in our heart, knowing how to deal with these things, do we still, in full light of all of that, choose, I know what you say about this, God, but I want to do it my way. I'll obey on all of this stuff, but I don't want to obey on this. 98%. Well, that's the third leg of the stool that just got kicked out. How do you respond to the evidence of disobedience in your life when you're confronted with it? And how are you confronted with it? How often are you confronted with it? Who confronts you? Are you spending time in this book every single day so that God can confront you Himself and deal with you firmly, lovingly, directly? I, that's the attitude that I want to have with my children, that they know. When I confront them on an issue, when they're guilty of something, I will confront them directly, I will confront them firmly, but I'll always do it justly, and I'll always do it because I love them. And they will never question that. And quite frankly, when their response is correct, after that occurs, we're actually closer. Because they know that it costs them something. And it breaks their heart to break my heart. And quite frankly, how I respond to these things, just like Saul led his people into rebellion against God and disobeyed God, how am I leading the ones that are following me? How am I training them to respond to the voice of God and the tugging of the Holy Spirit? We need to think about this. Go to the next slide. There's something I do want to be very clear on. And I'm not saying that when you know, sin causes separation, we've got to be very clear and we don't want to muddle any doctrine. You're not going to lose yourself. If you're soundly saved, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You've been born again. You're His who hath sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That earnest is that guarantee payment. I'm going to, You're sealed. You're mine. Go to the next one. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5. 5. Now He that wrought us for the selfsame, this is God who hath... who who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. He's talking to here in context of, listen, you are sealed, you are mine. I I own you, I put a down payment, I've sealed you with with my Holy Ghost. Go to the next one. This is my favorite. This is the one that when I was going through discipleship and I wrestled with this eternal security, I read this verse, I'm like, wow, game over. Lights out, this is it. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You know Him. You've been born again. You're His. And you still choose to rebel against God. You're not going to lose your salvation. That's the good news. He's not going to let you go. You know, I, I, I grew up in a system and around people that did believe that and it is the most terrifying place to be because You just don't know which one of those is going to shove you over the edge. and It's not a very good picture of a loving father just waiting to smash his children. That's a perverted view of God the Father. No, you're his. But, does sin cause separation? Every single time. Every single time. And when we're knowingly, openly rebelling against God who who saved us, who loved us, who gave everything for us, who allowed Judas to do that, quickly, even knowing full well what it would cost him so that we could be his sons and and his children it does create separation just like if I sin against my wife it causes separation between us we're still married but if I treat her like an idiot and talk to her in a way that's less than she deserves and is wrong do you think it creates space between us? of course I'm going to get what I wanted I wanted space and it's evidence because I treated her poorly I got what I want Okay, When we create space between us and God because we knowingly sail headlong into sin, choosing at that decision point, I'm going to click on this link. That's a decision point. I'm going to look at this image. I'm going to worship at the altar of self and I am going to worship this image of this woman. That's a decision point. You knowingly sail into that. What... What do you suppose may want to come and live in that void that you just created? I'm not saying that an evil spirit will come and dwell inside of you, but do you think you've just opened yourself up to things? Increase in temptation? Increase in thoughts? That you may be troubled by spirits that you invited into your home? Maybe not you. Maybe maybe it doesn't bother you, but... What did you just invite into your home for those that are following you? We don't ever talk about the spiritual realm. Do you think for a second that we don't open ourselves up to that when we decide to worship at the altar of self? We do what Saul did, and God's very clear. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry. What do you suppose we open our homes and our wives and our children and our families up to? Do you think, maybe, perhaps... There might be more at play here than we think, and we make this problem worse. How do you think the enemy feels about that? If you want to read an interesting book, and I know it's allegorical, it's it's it's, and read the Screw Tape Letters. I know not everybody loves C.S. Lewis. I, I really like C.S. Lewis. I know he was far from perfect, but man, he's got some good writing. Read the Screw Tape Letters. It's it's pretty twisted. Give you some insight into the demonic world and what goes on and things that we can't see. What do you suppose when you live this way? When I live this way? When we choose to be rebellious against What do you think this does to our children? What do you think it does to our church? What do you think it does to our pastors who battle spiritual warfare every day? Do you think it strengthens them? Do you think it strengthens our body? Do you think it strengthens us as a as as a as a family of believers? No. And you think you're getting away with it, but you're not. Okay. So, I've thoroughly beaten you down here with these things. And trust me, I've I've been reading through this stuff all week long, and I'm like, wow. I told you I would go back to verse 30, because Saul seemingly looks like he's, I've sinned, pray with me, I just want to worship God, I just want this to be right, come on, please help me, Samuel. All right. We pick back up in verse 31. So Samuel turned again after Saul. And Saul worshipped the Lord. Verse 32. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, So shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Whose actions set this right? It wasn't Saul. Saul's actions perverted this situation. He was given multiple opportunities to make his heart right with God and rejected every single one when he saw it would cost him something that he valued, i.e. his reputation, his position, his ownership of the throne, the crown, then he wanted to do something. And what did he do? He made himself look good. And he walked and he stood before the people and he sang and worshipped God. Like you would do right here in one of these pews. When push comes to shove, you get down to brass tacks. When action was required, who took the action? Samuel did. Are you broken over sin? Do you hate that this is here? Do you not want this to be in your life? Do you not want to open yourself up to dark realms that just freak me out to even think about? If you're broken and you're contrite, what do your actions say? Because that's really where it is. If you really believe this, you're going to do something about it you're going to set these things up. You're going to build the walls around your home like you see in Proverbs 25. Uh, You're going to start to... to, Man, if it's pornography, if that's what... I've talked about that a few times. It's so rampant in our culture. So rampant. It's been on my mind because of the things that are going on and I think about my sons and my daughter and, and how wicked this world is right now. Well, what are we putting in place to stop it so that it doesn't reach them? What am I putting in place so that it doesn't reach me? If I believe this and I don't want these things in my life and I want to be close to God then I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something about it. So ultimately, flip to the last slide there. We have a choice. Choice is your last blank. We have a choice. Submit yourselves therefore to God. God resist the devil and he will flee from you it's just that simple and i know i know listen we live in the real world and these things are maybe easier said than done in dealing with some of these things if a a contentious marriage or or children or workplace or pornography or what whatever you know what it is i don't need to know it's between you and god i'm not going to fill in the blanks those are a few small examples i do know this If there is something going on in your life and you are to the point where you want to deal with it with God and you want to take action, is there a place on this planet that is any safer than right here with a humble, broken heart attitude toward these things? Where you want to be reconciled to the God who created you, knowing full well that you're responsible for what He's commanded you in this book, giving you understanding for these things? What do you suppose would happen if you came with that hard attitude to another man in this church who's mature and established. And I could point you to dozens. Or a woman who would be established. The older teach the younger to love their husbands. Holy smokes is there a lot packed in that one little verse. There's no better place than right here to reach out, to dig deeper into the Word of God and employ. Take action. Hew agag to pieces. What do you think the emotions were that were going through Samuel's heart and mind as he took that sword from Saul and did that? This isn't a fuzzy box of kittens. He was, he was bludgeoning a man and cut him to pieces because of what he had done against God and the people of God. And he was going to set it right. And that's the attitude we as husbands, as fathers, as leaders, as wives, as mothers, that's what we need to take towards sin. Take action we know how to do it right here. If we don't, that's fine. God's going to give us what we want. And I'll tell you right now, some of the most miserable people I have ever seen in my life and I can they I mean absolutely miserable and I can start to tick them off. People that have some a little bit of knowledge of the word of God, a little bit of the truth. Some of them have sat in churches for a long time and they've heard the truth a lot. You want to make yourself miserable? Know full well what the word of God says, what he expects, what he commands for your own good always in in the book of Numbers and deliberately go against it. You want to make yourself miserable? Do that. And I don't see Sam Gang in here tonight. I can pick on Sam. He won't beat me up in the parking lot if you guys don't tell him. Um, I was talking with Sam a few months ago and we were just talking about our testimonies and he was just sharing with me how he got saved. And uh, I, I said something... When I got saved, I had been going to church and I've heard the gospel multiple times. And I went, I went back to my old hometown and I just got back into a sinful life with my, my old friends. And the knowledge of the truth just kept weighing on me heavier and, heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and harder and harder and harder and harder. And I kept getting more and more and more miserable until I hit this snapping point where I'm going to lose my mind or I'm going to get right with God or I'm going to die. Those are my three options. That's literally how I felt. I'm telling Sam this story, and Sam's like, oh yeah, totally, that's where I was. Like, yeah, I've heard that song before. Because he was the same way. He heard the truth so many times, but he didn't want to obey it. So he felt like I did. And he could tell you, there is nothing more miserable than directly disobeying God. And I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more joyous and nothing more wonderful than lovingly obeying God. I just know with my children, I, I talk to them about this all the time. So they're in the first and second grade, the twins are, they're down that hallway, and, and I pick them up on Sunday mornings, and I always ask the teacher the same question. Were, these, were they obedient? I expect them to be obedient. Were they obedient? And I, I hear them say, yes, they were obedient. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> so I, And I talk to my children about this pretty frequently, and I'll ask them, were you obedient? Teacher said you were obedient. Were you obedient today? Yeah, we were obedient. Okay, okay. And I tell them, I, I don't care what's going on in that classroom. I don't care. I don't care if they're reenacting Cirque du Soleil. You, you will do what you know is right. I expect you every Sunday. I don't care what the other. I don't care what the other kids are doing. They're not my children. You will do what is right. You're like, yes, Dad. Okay, that's the expectation. It's clearly laid out. So I asked my son this week, I just, just want to make sure that his understanding is where it needs to be because part of my job as a father is to give him understanding. I said, Major, buddy, what do you suppose would happen if you didn't do what was right? He's like, oh, I would get a spanking. Yeah, yeah, you would. Okay, carry on. Here's my point. My children do not obey in that classroom because of the teacher they don't they obey in that classroom because their father has given them commandments and instruction and understanding and their father has established the precedent in their mind and given them the understanding level that if they do not obey with the right heart attitude completely immediately and the way they're supposed to according to the word of god that they will be met with discipline And spanking takes a long time in our household, and thankfully it's getting less and less and less, but it it takes a long time because I have to work my children through the fact that they must understand one thing. When When a spanking is administered in our home and this disciplinary action is being carried out, I never do that until I hear them explain to me how they're responsible for being where they are. Because they must know I will give them what they want just like God the Father will give us what we want. And when we rebel against Him, He will give us the consequence of our rebellion. There is no more miserable place on the planet to be. And my children must understand, you're here receiving this because you chose to rebel and disobey here. Part of rebellion is the discipline that comes with it. That chastening. I hate chastening. I hate disciplining them but I love them too much not to. I love God too much to disobey. My children must understand that. And when we have that choice to submit ourselves to God and obey Him and we know clearly what we're called to do, clearly what we're supposed to do, anything less is direct disobedience. It's rebellion against God. It's the sin of witchcraft. It's the most miserable, horrible thing you'll ever take place in your life. And God will clearly give you what you want. He'll give you all of it. And you will slowly lose your mind in the process. I can personally attest to that. I'm gonna wrap up here. I just I, I can't help but talk about I can't help but talk about that. I didn't sleep at all last night. I, I slept horribly last night and I, it's been on my mind today and I've been mad enough to spit nails. For those of you who don't pay attention to any of the news, our nation, our state, our state is in open rebellion against God. Wildly open. And I fear for what we just asked for. God will give us exactly what we want. And we, have, we, we are a people who have been blessed to hold this book and we've heard it preached and we know what it says. Our children were safer under Roe versus Wade than they are now with what we just codified in the law yesterday. Do you think for a second God's not going to give us what we just asked for? May God have mercy on us for what we've done. I just, we know these things and we've got to take these things and carry them on and, and, it, and it has got to change the way we see him. It has got to change the way we see his word. It has got to change the way we respond to it physically that our mind and our heart will be right toward him. And tell the people around us that they're living in direct opposition and they're going to get what they ask for if we don't open our mouths and tell them and at least give them the opportunity to get right with God so I hope that answers the question this evil spirit that troubled Saul he asked for it and he got it everything he wanted and these things get twisted and they're strange we don't want those things in our lives it's best to just submit to God to love him to obey him because he wants what's best for us because he's given everything for us because he instructs these things and so that we'll be close with him so anyway with that I'm going to close And hopefully this helped answer that question and give you something to think about and and talk to God about throughout this week ahead. Father, it is hard to not get passionate about these things because these, these makes or breaks life. And I don't want to be in rebellion, even a little bit. God, I want to be right with you and I want to be close to you. I pray for our nation. I pray for our leaders, God. I pray for, we just need to be right with you. I'm afraid we're going to get what we've asked for, Father. And I pray that you would help us to be humble and to be obedient, to hold forth your word, to hold fast to it, to do what it says, and not to deceive our own selves. God, thank you for what you've done, for who you are, and for what you've given us. Help us to be faithful to you in all things. And I ask this humbly in Christ's name. Amen.